Oh, so Lucas, it has been a hot minute since we've recorded anything together, really. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just been taking some time off. And... We have, and did you enjoy your Christmas break? Yeah, it was nice. Uh, and then, you know, it was nice to just take some extra time off, have a bit of time to, you know, decompress after the year that was 2021. Yeah, spend some time with your missus. And I'm not going to ask you what you did, because, you know, that's your time. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, we spend so much of, so much of ourselves is online right now. I'm also not going to answer that question. I'm just going to say that I took some time off and I enjoyed it. Yeah, just, you know, had some nice time with friends and family and took but, some well-needed mental rest. And I, I noticed as well that, like, people had messaged me about the podcast, but, like, I was also, you know, trying to do my best to take time off social media as well. Yeah, I got a few messages about that as well. And just most of them were well-meaning, but the one that got me is like, oh, there's not been a podcast for a couple of um, uh, weeks. Is there a reason for that? And I just sent them back a screenshot of the date, which was the 24th of December. <laughs> is, there, is there a reason you haven't recorded a podcast um, uh, recently? And it's just a screenshot of, it's Christmas. Yeah, like, and obviously, take... like, we, we ended up taking a longer break on the podcast than we intended. But it was just because it was unintentional and we planned things poorly, I guess. It was like, the only thing I apologize for is the fact that we didn't, plan it to be able to announce that we were taking time off but you know yeah, we didn't we didn't exactly we convey the amount of time we're going to take off very well but i did find that very amusing of is there a reason because i don't seem to be able to th- like it's framed as if i can't think of any reason why there's not been a podcast recently and you look at the date and say it's christmas tomorrow that really um gives me energy of the complaint i saw like last year of okay. nintendo have been really quiet recently <laughs> Is there any reason why Nintendo haven't released a game in like three months? It's like just it's the panda. Anyway, uh, speaking of like not answering questions, um, there are questions that people have been asking that we are going to answer today, isn't it? Because the QA podcast squeezes back into things. Yeah, it is, and um, you know, obviously, I just want to mention, like as normally with these QA episodes, not every single question is going to be read out. You know. We, we've had a lot of time off, so there's been more questions than usual. So some are still in the inbox. Uh, some were worth answering, so we're in here. Some weren't worth answering, so we're just bad questions. And, like, obviously some as well I've just, like, used, but edited down a little bit just for, like, brevity's sake and stuff. Yes, and uh, would you just before we start recording, you mentioned to me uh, something I thought about be cl- would, be, would be worth clearing up for people of, like, specific kinds of questions that we generally don't answer. Uh, for whatever reason, and uh, there is one that you, there's one type of question you mentioned we had quite a few of, mm-hmm. didn't you? And it's like people asking, "What is your insert favorite thing? Or what is your favorite insert thing they want to know about?" And we generally ignore those because they don't really evoke much discussion. Yeah, and there's like things that you could ask. That there's one in the podcast that you'll hear later that is something to do with your favorite thing. Mm-hmm. But just, it only takes 30 seconds to think of something a little bit further. Yes. It's like, I compare it to like if you're on a first date with somebody. I don't think of like you're dating us, but um, a first date is going to end poorly if you just ask them, like, what's your favorite color? I mean, like, it's not really like gonna... a classic icebreaker car. No, it's like you're not really going to get to know somebody. And it's also as well, it, just, like, it doesn't lead to many interesting discussions. But without further ado, Lucas, um, uh, we'd like to let people know where they can send questions for next time and then get rolling with the first one. Indeed, yes, I was going to mention that. Uh, if you do want to submit your own questions, you can send them over to carlscornerqa at gmail.com and that 
The email is in the description of the podcast as well. Yes, on whatever service you happen to use. And Lucas, without further ado. Uh, yeah, so question number one um, says, Hi guys, recently I've been reintroduced to the term Schrodinger's dickhead mm-hmm. as a means of describing people who only decide they're joking after they have said stupid things that upset people. I've encountered many of these in my lifetime, yes. Indeed, yes. And they just ask, uh, do you have any terms like this that aren't maybe in general use? Thanks in advance, Chris. Uh, oddly enough, yeah, my girlfriend mentioned one to me yesterday, and it is weaponized uh, incompetence. Oh, okay. And uh, that's a concept that's apparently making the rounds on TikTok, which she like, you know, she uses to she scrolls on that to pass the time. Yeah. And it's the idea of uh, generally men in relationships being bad at something on purpose so they can get out of it. So, for oh, example, classic, like, yeah. like being shit at washing the dishes so that their girlfriend, wife, partner, what have you, will just be like, fine, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea that you are weaponizing that in a relationship because there's no real excuse for not being able to, say, wash a dish or yeah. fold the laundry. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a tool, um, a cudgel, if you will, that some um, especially just poor examples of um, relationship material will yeah. use so they can avoid getting out of doing things that would just be considered like an ordinary part of running a house and I thought that's a very useful term that really is and I, I kept this question in not because I particularly have one but I just wanted to see if you did and I do like that term and um, I I wholeheartedly say fuck off to anybody that does that kind of thing um, especially when it comes to you know relationships and this say there's things around the house that you don't want to do why don't you just say like oh you know can you so can somebody else do this and i will do something in return quid pro quo yeah it's like uh, with my, me and my girlfriend like i don't really like washing the pots but she doesn't like drying them so mm. i'll dry the pots and put them away she'll wash them and that's what we do after a meal yeah um uh, for example and just little it shouldn't like just that. be Carl going, well, I don't know how to hold a plate upright, so I guess you're going to have to do it all. Yeah, it's uh, but for the reason terms like this are so useful is that they describe very specific kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. And that otherwise like would be more difficult to describe. And another term that just sprung to mind while I was thinking about it was uh, manufactured personality. Is a phrase. I don't know if it was coined uh, by someone that I know, but they used it quite a lot to refer to people just buying things and then making that their personality rather than forging one on their own. And I always found that very useful because I've encountered many a person who, rather than develop a unique personality based on interests and um, uh, just knowing, just, and then developing them over time and then forming them into their own, folding them into their own personality and building up from that, would just buy something like, this is what I am now. Right, okay, yeah. So they were um, a huge, not uh, they hugely disliked stuff like ripped jeans mm-hmm. uh, because they made a lot of their own clothes. And then stuff like, um, like you've probably seen those jackets that have like band logos pre-sewn in. Oh, yeah. And stuff like that. So that's what they used it to refer to. But I found it a quite useful catch-all term for people who just don't have any discernible personality of their own besides the things that they own. <laughs> And we've all Fair. encountered those, like people who's like, I am an Xbox, like, I am a gamer, I play Xbox. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is your personality? Well, I am a PlayStation fan. Like, well, what's, yeah, your what's your personality? I like PlayStation. So yeah. Right, okay. And then another term that I've heard is, I don't think it's a term, it's just a descriptor I heard, 
um, uh, from a mutual friend of ours. I won't say the name because um, uh, I'm not sure how comfortable they'd be being called out like this. But when they were on Tinder and they were talking to me about their misadventures, trying to find like you know, just uh, so for for context, it's a girl looking to date a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's currently a girl looking to date a girl because uh, for reasons that become evident in about five minutes. <laughs> this, and I asked them, so how are things going? Like in the whole like Tinder game, like it's terrible. And I'm like, why? Because I mean, they're in the mid-twenties and the people that they're encountering have no personality. Mm-hmm. I was like, what do you mean? Would well, you know when you talk to a guy and after about 30 seconds, you realize the entirety of their personality is three subreddits in a YouTube channel? And I went, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Because that is such an on-point descriptor of a very specific kind of person we have all met. Yeah, and like we've spoken about this uh, personally in the past, like that descriptor of people, and it's just so spot on. Of just like all they ever do, like the only thing they will ever contribute to conversations is quoting things that they've seen on the internet, and all of their conversation topics and all of their points when it comes to discussions and arguments, debates, what have you, are regurgitated from a YouTube channel they watch. Yeah, and almost always in terms of the reddit things it's never put across as oh i saw something on the internet oh hey guys have have you ever thought about x yeah it's it's never like oh i thought there's an interesting thing on the internet i saw let's talk about that and the wider implications i'll use the jumping off point like we're Mm -hmm. doing with this question here it's just here's the thing i saw but posing it as their own insights because they're rather develop a personality and that's why I thought I was so on point because I heard her say it and went I know exactly the kind of guy you're referring mm-hmm. to like that's the thing it's, it's the kind of descriptor where the moment you say it it doesn't need any further explanation I know that person in my head and if you don't know that person you probably are that person <laughs> either way so there's none for you that you've heard or you quite like uh, not off the top of my head mm-hmm. um, this was something that I sat there for a minute and was like there's nothing that comes to mind for me, but I know that Carl's probably got an answer for that one. Yeah, I'm a big fan of stuff like that. Yeah. No, I do like them. I just, it's one of those things that tend to just be like in one ear and out the other for me. And um, a lot of them as well are like um, uh, things younger people use. And by younger people, like Gen Z. Hmm. Because like any terms that were probably more familiar to us, like internet language is like, it's such an ever-evolving beast and it changes so quickly. Yeah. Like slang and terms like that fall out of favour so quickly. So um, uh, it's difficult for me to like, hold on to them because I'm just, no, I'm not um, uh, the target demographic of um, uh, culture anymore. Not that culture, yeah. Yeah, or at least like, you know, internet culture. Like, they're at the forefront of it now. Mm-hmm. It, it passed me by many years ago. And that's the thing is, you see so many people try to cling on to that and say that, you know, the next generation just are idiots that don't know what they're talking about. Is it? Okay, but 10, 15 years ago, that was us being idiots that didn't know what they were talking about who then formed that kind of thing. So, yeah, just The Simpsons always be on point. Of, um, uh, I used to be with it, but then they changed what it is, and now I'm scared and confused. It's everyone else's fault, <laughs> but mine. It's, it's so on point. Ugh, what's the next one? Good question. Uh, thank you, Chris. Yeah, thank you very much, Chris. And I will mention, like, I will use people's names, but only if they put it in, like, the body of the email. I won't... Yeah just take somebody's name because obviously like people's names are in the email address a lot of the time but I don't want to just take that if you don't want me you don't want to be like um, uh, like Stephen Wilson at yahoo43.com or something like that (laughs) oh god well the next question is from Stephen no I'm joking Um, the next one uh, is from Helmy from Malaysia 
Okay. Uh, so, good day, Carl and Lucas. Um, what video game mechanic from any game do you think is underappreciated and you would want implemented in more games in general? Uh, P.S. Thank you for the videos and podcasts everyone makes. It certainly left me laughing many times and I enjoy the full game playthroughs very much. Keep up the good work and wishing for your continued success. Well, thank you very much. Um, that's very much appreciated. And oddly enough, when we just played Doom earlier, and this yeah. is one of the, it's a mechanic um, I think needs to be in Doom. So uh, to explain here, um, uh, there is a mechanic in uh, character action games that is uh, very rarely noticed, and I think that's by design, and it is that when an enemy is not on screen, that enemy cannot target you. Mm. And uh, an easy way to see this is to go play something like Bayonetta, um, or Devil May Cry. Um, I'm not sure which version of the game it's in, but most Devil May Cry games have this feature. And it is if you go into a corner and position your camera um, uh, to basically fake, Joe, when you phase your camera into the wall. Yes, yeah. Enemies will not be able to hurt you. And that's because um, uh, the people making those games realize it's unfair when you can be hit from off screen. It does not feel good, it does not feel fair, and it makes the gameplay experience worse. Hmm. Um, so you can only ever be hit in those games by things that are on screen and usually with a telegraphed attack. And by telegraphed, I mean either visually, audibly, or both. Um, Doom Eternal has no such system in it, which is very evident. Um, presumably the guy who sent this... Um, uh, oh, I don't want to presume their guy or gal uh, who sent yeah. this message in uh, has seen the playthrough of Doom where we frequently get killed in that game by being hit from off screen by enemies we can't see. Mm-hmm. And the only time you ever notice that, and as I said, the mechanic is not one that's often noticed unless it's not there. Because it just makes sense, doesn't it? Like, well, if it's not on screen, it doesn't make sense in the context of the universe. Like, why would a demon wait for you to look at it before it shoots at you? But when you're playing the game, you get hit from something from behind you literally could not tell was there. That does not feel good. And the interesting thing about that is that until you point it out, nobody really notices that nothing is attacking you off screen. Mm-hmm. in those games like you don't notice that that's a mechanic until you actually think about it and then when you show it off so i think i showed it off in the devil may cry 5 playthrough i pointed the camera towards the wall and nothing attacked mm-hmm. and it's like yeah and you won't notice this in regular gameplay because most of the combat takes place it's quite frenetic well the moment you break it down and realize oh yeah that that would be really annoying if you could just get hit from off screen with no warning and it is annoying and it's noticeable when it's when, not there because games like Doom where you just die from things that you didn't know were coming. Or were behind you or had spawned in that you didn't see or do mm-hmm. like area of effect attacks that you were you couldn't possibly have seen coming or been telling It feels very frustrating and you notice that shit. Mm-hmm. So that's one I think needs to be in every game that involves um, uh, combat of some kind. Mm-hmm. And if and the only exception to that rule is if they, um, if it's a level boss and their attack is very easily um, telegraphed with um, audio, um, if not visuals. That's fair. Um, uh, any for you? Yeah, I think maybe not underappreciated is the right word, but certainly underutilized is just kind of mechanics where things just make sense. And the countless examples I'm I could bring up are from Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Where things in that game work as you would just imagine them to. Say, for example, mm-hmm. you've got a wooden shield and an arrow hits your wooden shield, it sticks into the shield, and then you can just pick the arrow out of it. And 
it's a little thing where it just makes the world feel more real and more intact. Yeah, because things respond in a way that makes sense. If not for um, via our world logic, by the world logic it's established in the games. Exactly, yeah. And things have materialistic properties to them where that wouldn't happen with a metal shield, but then a metal shield will interact with magnetic powers or with electricity. Yeah. And, and I know they spent a lot of time about on say, those systems, yeah. which is why they aren't in many games. It's almost unfair because Breath of the Wild is like just literally almost a decade of just some of the best people in the biz working endlessly and tinkering with these things. But at the same time, you can tell that that's the case. Mm-hmm. And I feel it makes for a better gameplay experience. It definitely does. And I think the one limit in that game that is very noticeable because I like to uh, I like to try and abuse it but it's hard is the fire and the fire doesn't spread very far because the game doesn't want to just burn itself down mm-hmm. but it is a bit unsatisfying when the game won't allow fire to spread more than like three feet yeah it's uh, stuff like Far Cry I think one of the Far Cry maybe two that sold two was the on. first one to have spreading fire yeah you had realistic fire and you could just like throw a like a molotov cocktail into an enemy base and just win however the, the it was always burns down it was always noticeable though that you could only go as far as one patch of grass or one building and yeah, there were those not. limitations in place still and it's a sh- it is fun to an extent and it is fun to be able to play with those mechanics as they're introduced Mm-hmm. It's like um, games like PsyOps. You know, like PsyOps, the Mind Gate conspiracy, where it's like you're the psychic soldier. I'm aware of PsyOps. I don't think I've ever played it. Uh, that is, it's just game. You got psychic, like telekinesis, push pull, that sort of thing. And like your mm-hmm. tool set is ostensibly very limited, but the amount of things you can do in the world with it um, is like just virtually um, unlimited. It's like oh, you could okay. just like if you want to pick up a soldier and throw him over a wall, but you could pick up his gun and just take his gun off him. Right, yeah. And stuff like that. And it's like once you've given people like give people a simple tool set and then a lot of things that they can do with it. And I compare that to something like the Force Unleashed, which you also played on the channel where you get there's so few areas where they actually take advantage of using the force. Like I think the first level on the Death Star where we were like picking up like the mechanical equipment. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there's here's one of the lasers that they use to um uh, destroy stuff. Like to cut things. And I was like swinging that around and killing stormtroopers with it. And then there's no more of that in the game. That's no, our first mission. You can tell that that was the mission that got a lot of time clearly for like demoing and for prototyping the game and stuff and throwing as many different objects in as they can. Mm-hmm. And then no, not one other level in the game is designed like that. Yeah, nothing. It doesn't feature anything where you can actually have fun with your powers. Mm-hmm. And like, I wouldn't. I'm not really sure how to describe that besides just giving the tool sets you give the player uh, making them just affect the world in interesting ways or at the very least in ways that feel like they make sense like there's so many times more ways to realistically interact with the the environment around you yeah so i want to say it's like a level in star wars force on each way like you're above the sarlacc it's like why can't i throw people into a sarlacc or like when you find like rocks and stuff on the wall it's like why can't i rip these rocks off the wall and throw them at people why well, is yeah, there not like bonus points for doing this? Force is essentially the ability to interact with anything around you in any way you want. 
So it feels very weird when you can walk through a level and only pick up certain types of like blocks or engines or whatever it is that you throw at people. It's very, very limited and it feels strange because the force shouldn't be. Yeah, because I want to say there was times where I was like running around. It's like, oh, cool, there's a patch of water here if I throw a stormtrooper into it and he just up and shot me with his gun. It's like, okay. <laughs> Well, like when we were playing Prototype, and when you get that, that huge tool set, but there's almost nothing you can do with it because almost every fight revolves around just throw rocks at things. Yeah. And that's yeah. how you win. So they give you like, massive tool set of things you can do, but so the ability to interact with the world is so limited. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a more neutered tool set, but more work put into the things you're able to do with it would make that game much more fun. Yeah, and I think that is something that I would, I would kind of prefer is rather than giving you lots of tools i say give me lots of things to do with a limited set of tools if it's if it's got to be a compromise one way or the other then i'd I'd definitely like to have a wider more shallow pool of objects to play with yeah i'd rather like have um replayability in that sense than give me like it's like uh doom which you've been playing as a good example about all the weapons it gives you but almost none of them feel good Mm -hmm. because only a select few of them actually um, uh, stagger or hurt the enemies in a way that is tangible so the only real way yeah. you have to interact with the world um, in a way beyond just shooting like the piles of meat until they explode <laughs> is with like a quarter of your moveset which means only a quarter of your moveset actually feels fun to use yeah yeah good question again well, yeah for sure um, so thank you for that and then <laughs> next question comes from Kit uh, they say hello there thank uh, you if you could change uh, one thing, even the tiniest thing about one of your favorite films, what would it be? Hope you're having a nice day. Hmm. Uh, well, if it's specifically going to be a minor change, mm-hmm. I guess there's, there's stuff like um, uh, there's visual mistakes in a lot of films. Do you know what like there's like gaffes? Yeah. That you see, like, um, it's not my favorite film, any stretch of the imagination, but one I like is the first Spider Man movie. Okay, yeah. Where um, on a rewatch, I noticed that um, uh, they ADR'd all their lines, so recorded them after the fact, uh, which means that you can see that um, you can see straight through the Green Goblin costume and see that Willem Dafoe's not moving his mouth. <laughs> so I'd fix something like that because that's like yeah. it doesn't affect the film unless you know that it's there. And now that I know it's there, I can't unsee it. And do you so know he- what? Like really gets me is when they do things like that, but. Um- you know when you know it's just a one-on-one conversation and they're panning to like the back of people's heads and you can tell that they are just standing there having a line read at them and you can tell their mouth's not moving and their mouth's not moving they're not moving their head or reacting in any way it's just i'm going to stand perfectly still because all you can see is the back of my head Mm -hmm. but i can still tell that you're not doing anything though yeah it's a it's a real minor gripe Um, and that's what if that's the minor thing's gonna change it'd be silly things like that Mm-hmm. Uh, just mistakes that I'm aware of because it's a film that I watch a lot or I'm a fan of and it just annoys me when I notice it yeah and just little moments that take you out of it it's like the part in Endgame where they accidentally put um, uh, two Ant-Mans in one scene do they? yeah there's a scene where you can like because they put an Ant-Man in the background but there's an Ant-Man in like the foreground as well oh man yeah it's like little things like that I just want to fix that because otherwise, it's just once I know it's there, I'm not going to be able to unsee it. And I'm also not going to be able to like, stop pointing it out when I watch it with other people. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I'm one of those knobheads. 
yeah, which reminds, reminds me of one of my like favorite article headlines. Um, and it is a uh, how to be that guy when watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy this Christmas. And it's just oh. like all Joe, all those things in the Lord of the Rings that that guy quote unquote will be like, did you know? And it's like, yes, everybody knows that he broke his foot when he kicks the orc's helmet. Oh, did you see the orc sit up just there at the yeah. corner of the screen as the camera pans away? It's like, yeah, we've all yeah. seen it. So it's like an article breaking down all the moments like that in the film that you can do. So you can consistently ruin the experience for the entirety of the nine hours. <laughs> one time and people got so salty about that of like well my friends always find it interesting when I point this stuff out it's like no they tolerate it because you're their friend mm-hmm. yeah nobody likes having stuff they already know pointed out to them oh god yeah I just yeah. like there's so many um, there's so many little things I change in a lot of for example Marvel stuff of just moments where it's like I don't know just you can tell that it has to have these moments in to be a Marvel thing of like you know we talked before about WandaVision on the spoiler cast and like oh that fight at the end the fact that the final episode has to be a fight is that I would just change it so that they have a conversation I would love it and that might be maybe not a minor change maybe that's a bit more of a drastic change but why does every third act of a superhero film have to boil down to the CGI fight. Yeah, it's like I was watching, uh, I've been re-watching Daredevil over Christmas, because mm. like, oh, yeah, that show's too. really good. And I'm re-watching it, and I forgot that by my, the first couple episodes, it's like really self-contained, it's a really small story, it's like, okay, cool, yeah, it's like Daredevil fighting one crime lord, this is really good. And mm. then I forgot, like, on the fifth episode, they go, there's someone in the black sky, I'm like, oh, fucking hell, was the weird fucking world-ending plot that Daredevil has to solve on his own. It's like, why do they have to keep putting in plots in these TV shows that affect the entire world when it's supposed yeah. to be, like, literally set on one part, in one part of New York yeah, that Daredevil's yeah. supposed to be micromanaging the shit out of? Why would he care if it's a world-ending threat? And it's, and it's all like episode six about the hand and the black sky and all this bollocks and the chase and everything it's like can't it just be daredevil being a lawyer and a crime fighter yeah and it's why i'm really not excited for the she-hulk tv show because mm. i looked at um some pre-production stuff and they went oh yeah and they've cast this person as the villain and it's like so it's going to end in a giant fist fight in the middle of new york mm-hmm. it's like we're not going to get the she-hulk tv show that i want i'm not sure how many other people have just single she's female in lawyer single female lawyer yeah solving crimes and um i was gonna say as well like with daredevil i've been re-watching it as well and like i got up to season two and started to drop off a little bit like halfway through the season when electra turns up and i was about to say i think on rewatch, electra sucks so much life out of that tv show because it starts being about Daredevil and it starts being about a wider plot to sell more things which is and the problem with all those TV shows every time she's involved it's about that bigger plot and it just drags and I'm like Ugh. she also can't say his name properly Matthew <laughs> every time she says it, it pisses me off like it's when Stick turns up and they have a really interesting bit where they're talking about his powers where it's like oh it's, I think he takes ice cream or something like that Mm. and he goes um, uh, it's a really good explanation of his powers and he goes what, what's in that ice cream and he tastes it and he goes oh yeah it's like no these chemicals also the um, uh, 
the guy who served didn't wash his hands. He was gardening this morning. It's like, wow, that's such an ninja. And then immediately following that, it's okay. So there is a fucking ninja. There's ninja magic being come into the city tonight. And it's like, oh, fuck off. I don't <laughs> want him to fight ninjas. Yeah. I just wanted to solve crimes and swing around. And one thing that really got me in Daredevil is... Um, it's a Daredevil it, cast. Fuck it, let's go. Yeah, it is now. Like, Five years later. <laughs> the moment they introduced the hand of like, oh, this is kind of interesting because he can't hear their movement somehow. He can't hear their heartbeat, which, come on. That but, makes you no know, sense. Comic book stuff. I'll, I'll like... Um, I'll just have a bit of illusion about that and just like yeah sure i'll take it but um just the fact that the next time he encounters stick he just goes listen to their swords instead and then he never has a problem ever hearing them ever again yeah he never thought of that because that's the thing if the heart doesn't beat sure you can hear the swords because you can't hear anything except that uh, it's also we have probably the stupidest fight scene in any tv show or movie ever where mm. the hand it's like Electra stick and like Daredevil fighting them and <laughs> Daredevil is only knocking them out but then Electra's walking up and stabbing them <laughs> and he's not mad about it yeah because his whole thing is I don't kill and then Electra's like you see like I think they have the pan where you see all three of them fighting and you just see Electra and stick stabbing people and Matt's knocking them out and it's like this these characters actively make Daredevil a worse character because mm. it means that he's allowing people to get murdered by proxy it, Let's Nick, just also remember how many people he murders before he decides that he's not going to be a killer. He never kills anyone. I know this. He pushes people off of buildings a lot, but they survive. Uh, he defo <laughs> Batman kills people. He puts someone in a coma once, but yeah. So. It's not quite as bad as Arrow, where he spends the entire season one straight up murdering people and decides any murderer is the worst person on Earth in season two. Yeah, even though he's like technically the biggest mass murderer in that universe. <laughs> Because he kills like three people per episode in a 20 episode season. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Somebody kills once in season two and he's like, they're unforgivable. Yeah. Murder is a crime that can never. So I think, yeah, if I was going to make not a minor change, but one change, it'd just be make those TV shows for Marvel just like more small scale. Yeah. And we don't need world-ending threats. We, like, I think when you have like the Defenders, they try to get like fucking dragons. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to see dragons. I just want to see them fight fucking bikers mm -hmm. in a hallway. But yeah. I mean, realistically, the, the actual takeaway was that Carl's biggest change is that you just change it so that Electra can say Matthew. Yes, that's just that one. That's what we say <laughs> that's that the change. Or at least change the actress. Because she's not charismatic. It's like you swap Vincent D'Onofrio for that shit. Mm -hmm. Like they blew their fucking load when they paid him, didn't they? <laughs> because every scene he's in, he's like, I want a show about him. Oh, gotcha. Like he's the best part of that. Like, I think every episode he's in, and he's like, he's on camera, and it's like, this is make it four hours long. Yeah. I want to hear him talk for four hours. He's amazing. He really is. Okay. Anyway, next one. Uh, moving on. So really said by the Daredevil chat. We did. We did a little bit. Matthew. But it, it'll happen. Uh, so, hey Carl and Lucas, I've had several people tell me before that the debates I often have with my best friends are pointless. Because yeah. we almost always end up by peacefully agreeing to disagree. Do you consider debates where neither side changes their point of view pointless when the people involved are close friends able to handle having different opinions? Thanks, Walter. I need to know what these opinions are. 
Because that's the thing. If it is talking about, like, like, me and Lucas just did their, like, Marvel movies and shit, that's fine. If you're talking about, like, something that actually impacts people's lives, then I'd say um, no. So, I without mean, the context of what these arguments are about, it's difficult. I, I think they're just talking about the general... The general idea of... Is it pointless to have a debate that seemingly goes nowhere? Well, it depends what the discussion... Yeah, like, how many discussions have we had just on this very podcast that never really have any conclusion? But, like, you know, the discussions we have along the way, like, the whole reason this podcast exists is because we had interesting conversations despite by pretty much anything. The reason yeah. we have no set format on the podcast is because I thought the conversations we had without any prompting were interesting enough for people to listen to, and evidently they are. Yeah, and I know that um, I've seen some people say on like the video versions and stuff that like we tend to agree on a lot of stuff, which is different to, to what this person's asking, but that's obviously just because we made friends with people that have similar kind of general opinions. Yeah, and, that's um, the thing. there's always um, value to be had in just the discussion itself, but uh, if it's about silly things like movies and TV shows, like go, who cares a shit? But I would still argue that, for oh, example, yeah. I've got friends that are on kind of the opposite side of the political scale to me, and we don't ever really tend to sway each other, but we will still have open and frank discussions of, you know, going back and forth and having the debate about certain issues, and it doesn't mean that we have to change each other's opinion by the end of the debate it can just be well here's my side of the argument yeah and uh, i've had discussions like that too but like, there is a line that i think needs to be drawn where it's like when it comes to like, the issue of people's lives like, so, like gay rights and trans rights like there is no middle ground there if someone doesn't agree with that like i fundamentally disagree with them and if they... yeah, that's not the type of thing that i would have a debate with somebody that would be because it's not a topic that's worth debating because to debate it means that you're giving it the other side deserves any time to be heard, and it does not. Like, trans rights are human rights, fuck you. Exactly, yeah, 100%. That's what it's if it comes can we just draw to... that distinction? Sorry. No, yeah, I, I think that that's a fair point to be made is, yeah, you can have debates on most things, I think, but when it comes to matters like human rights, is yeah, fuck off. Things like trans rights matter, and black lives matter, and gay lives matter, and, you know, I could go on and on and on, but... Generally speaking, as I've said quite a lot, I just think human rights matters and human lives matters. And the only time I disagree with that is for people that disagree with that sentiment. Yeah, it's that thing of like, so if you don't ever come to a consensus with each other and it's about something that's like, you know, less important than people's lives, yeah, like the fact that you're able to have a discussion and see each other's point of view. Um, I, think it's, I think it's, it's a very skill. healthy thing to do, and I think it's good that people are able to have a discussion or a debate rather than it becoming just a shouting match. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, this healthy discussion is a very important life skill to be had. Mm -hmm. I think it's um, a good thing to do because otherwise if you just... If you only have people that agree with you constantly, that's when bubbles start to form. Yeah, it's like I had it with a friend of mine where um, uh, he was getting frustrated um, with this and I went like mate there's no friction uh, there's no fire without friction it's like mm -hmm. without us like you know having these things that we don't necessarily agree on um, in regards to like you know how we live our lives or what have you like we wouldn't ever like the 
So it's, I, I don't like to use the word passion because that sounds like you know, very charged in a way, but yeah. without us having those passions that we share and uh, stuff like you know that we can like you know, bounce off of each other about because it's still sounding very homoerotic when even though <laughs> I'm trying not to be. And if we just sat there and agreed about everything, then be no, where's the fun in that? Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a good balance to be had between having friends and relationships where I think it's unhealthy to either completely agree with someone on everything or completely disagree with someone on everything, but finding mm-hmm. a balance somewhere in between is good. Yeah, because people are like, no, very different. And it's, there's, even if you don't end up on the same page, like I, to use the sillier example, if I like, say someone you know doesn't like a movie that you like, it doesn't necessarily, then if then it's not a big deal if they never change their mind about it, but there is value in you explaining for example, like why you like that movie. Because it gives them an understanding of you as a person. They may not necessarily come out of it liking that movie, but they know more about you. And there's value in that. Yeah, I mean, I'm never going to decide that I like Zack Snyder as a director, but I'll have a debate with somebody about why they like Zack Snyder films. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's, again, just a silly example that we use because it's something we talked about on the podcast a lot. Exactly, yeah. And it's... Uh, you often use the examples of film, television, and media in general because it's just... At the end of the day, unless you're watching something that's like horribly problematic, like it probably doesn't matter um, yeah. uh, what media you consume or enjoy. Yeah, I mean, that thing is just, as long as you're not listening to Nazi propaganda or something, I think you're all right. Yeah, you're probably doing quite well. Anyway, yeah, thank you for that, Walter. And we'll I, I almost made a really bad job right now. Yeah, please don't. I was about to, and I was about to say, um, uh, to be fair, like the most subscribed to podcast on this platform is Joe Rogan. <laughs> uh, so it's a good chance that people listening to this also listen to his podcast, which you shouldn't do. Stop, stop giving him airtime. He's a moron. Yeah. I'm a moron, but I don't claim to speak with authority on stuff that affects people's actual lives. That's the difference: is he's not willing to admit it. He's a moron. He wants people to listen to him and change their opinions because of it. Yeah, there was a great clip that went around of like, here's a someone who's an expert on a subject telling Joe Rogan a fact, and then he counters it by saying, well, um, here's a story about me, and that disproves it, and he puts them both on equal footing, like scientific <laughs> evidence with um, uh, backing and rationale to something I saw with my eyes, which yes. is how children think. Well, that's how literal children try to argue. It's like, I saw it with my eyes. Anyway, next question. Yeah, so we'll move on. Uh, hi, Carl. Hi, Lucas. I love thank the you. podcast. Uh, yeah. I think you guys together are hilarious, so thank you. Okay. Uh, we say, do you think Bethesda and Warner Bros. will ever make a deal and put Doom Guy in Mortal Kombat? I look forward to the next QA episode. Thanks, guys. Ben. And I only put this in mainly because, like, we, we, you know, we're playing Doom Eternal at the moment. Here's the thing. I... For many years, there's been a lot of rumours about characters that were going to be in Mortal Kombat when Mortal Kombat became the series where they put new characters in. It became the... The guest fighter. I was going to say, it became the M-rated version of Smash Bros, didn't it? Yes, and um, I now think that every... Up until the inclusion of Rambo and the Terminator, which have the genuine actual likeness of real people in the real world... Mm-hmm. I thought that there probably would be people who'd be off limits, but now they've put in like just Sylvester Stallone and he's happy to sign off on his character being torn apart. Yeah. And have like a 
incredibly lifelike realization of his likeness get the shit kicked out of it on screen. I don't think any company is going to be more protective of their IP than someone will be of their own face. That's but, true. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? It's like, um, uh, I'd say, I, would, I think back to when Kratos made it into uh, Mortal Kombat 9. Mm-hmm. There was like a bunch of shit that Sony insisted that they had to do. Uh, uh, for example, right, okay. um, there are certain fatalities that don't work on Kratos. Oh. Because they told them Kratos is not allowed to be scared. Kratos does not get scared. So oh, when so there's like any because there was like the one where they turn tiny and coward before he stomps on them, right? Yeah, and Kratos does not react to that fatality because he's not allowed to be scared. So I think that whilst there's no reason Doom Guy would not make it in, I think those corporate busybodies is like, well, our character would not be scared of this, would ruin mm. it that way. So I think that it wouldn't be that Doom Guy wouldn't make it in. It's that mortal. Uh, Netherrealm would not want to put him in because the amount of hoops they had to jump through would be too much. That's for like id software just giving too much of a shit about whether Doom Guy could get ripped apart by somebody. Yeah, similar to um, uh, we talked about uh, Wreck It Ralph, where it was all such a ball ache to get that scene where Bowser and Zangief and um, uh, uh, Doctor Robotnik are all sat next to each other. The bad guy support group, yeah. Because Sega, Nintendo, and Capcom kept saying, well, uh, Bowser is bigger than Zangief. And then they said, well, no, Zangief is bigger. And it got to the point where like they were all bitching about whose character gets the most screen time, who's his biggest. And Disney just put their foot down and said they're all the same size. Deal with it. We should have just made them smaller than Batman. Mm. And that's the thing. It. it took Disney putting their foot down to get companies to stop arguing about how their property was represented. Mm-hmm. And I think if it takes someone as big as Disney, I think NetherRealm could potentially do that. No, and I will say, regards to guest characters and stuff, it is a shame that we haven't got a Smash Bros-style Mortal Kombat where it's Mortal Kombat Ultimate, because the guest characters they've had between the three games go so well together. Yes, and it's that thing of, uh, for years now, it has been an industry rumor that Ed Boon, the creative director of Mortal Kombat, has been trying to get a horror-themed fighting game with mm-hmm. Mortal yeah. Kombat's mechanics and violence and um, just all the flair that it has and is known for made. The problem is so many of the people who own those properties don't want to see their character get ripped apart by another one. So they don't want, you know, I can't think because horror, but like they don't want Freddy Krueger being able to tear apart like Jason or yeah, it's like a. It be. Joe, when you watch stuff like Freddy vs. Jason is a great example where there's never a definitive winner in that film oh, because okay. ne- neither rights holder wanted to establish that their character is chronically weaker than the other one. It's the same thing like mm. Godzilla vs. Kong where it's, um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that fight does not end with a definitive winner. Well, we called that before we even knew yeah. what the movie was, yeah. I called that like two years out because no, neither rights holder wants it and that's one of the things holding it back. It's like why um, for years... Um, NetherRealm wanted to make a Marvel versus DC game. Mm-hmm. The problem is that every time they try and get any sort of groundwork, and make, like any sort of headway made on it, um, the rights holders just stonewall them. Of like, well, Spider Man's got can't be beaten by Batman or what have you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's weird to think that the people who own these properties are having the same petty arguments the fans would have. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. yeah. So I don't think anything, no character is out of the window, but there's some that I probably wouldn't want to be in there because like, their inclusion would 
um, be harmful to the game. Like that's one of the reasons I don't like Sora being in Smash because you can tell that Disney had so many. Um, that's uh, the issue, isn't it? Because requisites. if you put Sora in without limitations, there would be Mickey, Donald, and Goofy in there, and then I'll let you do so. that. Yeah. There's no Disney iconography, Disney music, Disney mentions apart from like the one shot in the trailer of the Mickey head yeah. on the keychain. But other than that, it's just that character might as well have never heard of Disney, which isn't the way that it should have been done. Yeah, and it makes it not feel like a true representation of the character. And I feel it's the same like Doom Guy, for example, could make it into a, a Mortal Kombat game. But if Bethesda and Id got like they're being like got being their bonnet about it like well doom guy can't do this doom guy can't do that we don't want doom guy being pictured doing this it would be he would make he could potentially make it into a game in a neutered form and i'd rather not i'd rather just not see him in there but if there were no limitations i would like to see doom guy ripping apart the mortal kombat cast for sure and people ripping him apart yeah um but okay so Yes. Uh, ben did also have another question within a question. And the double question. Uh, yeah, and I don't mind people writing in multiple questions and I can cherry pick if if one so I can use both. But this was kind of like a running theme for questions that came up a few times. So I kind of combined all of the questions that are going to sum up what people ask all in one go so we can just jump in as one discussion the mega question okay the mega question uh so ben and another person philip both asked if we have recommendations for ways to improve media literacy uh greg wrote uh, and asked if both of us have examples of how we've improved our media literacy over time mm-hmm. and alex also uh wrote and asking about media literacy wondering if we were put in charge of introducing media literacy into school curriculums mm-hmm. through a dedicated class or otherwise, how would we go about it? Uh, most of it comes to, I studied media in um, college and university. So mm-hmm. my familiarity with this concept is admittedly uh, more in depth than the average person on the street, but I still think it's quite valuable. Yes. Uh, yeah. So media literacy, people don't know, is just the ability to read and pass media in a way beyond the superficial. So say, mm-hmm. for example... Uh, I'm trying to think now what films have we mentioned so far uh, I guess I'll use Robocop as the example because that's you know, my, one of my favourite films you can watch that as a straight up action movie and it's a story about a man who gets turned into a robot and shoots people mm-hmm. um, like if you want to go like one step further into that reading you can read it as like a Jesus allegory mm-hmm. because um, uh, it is said that um, uh, the character of Robocop um, Alex Murphy is religious and then he gets revived you can also see it as a commentary on um, capitalism and um, uh, the increasing militarization of the police force for example because they turn a police officer like you know just a regular human man into just like a walking avatar of destruction with a giant fucking gun who mm-hmm. saves the day by blowing people up you can also see it as um, uh, an allegory for like, you know, the downfall of fucking the industrialization of America because it's set in Detroit, which is like, you know, a fucking nightmare hellscape where big business is completely died and one monolithic corporation owns everything. And they're all different readings of the same film now, all equally as valid. But I think having the ability to pass those is very important because it allows you to see and enjoy is the, the opposite thing here. Media. Mm-hmm. more I feel because it allows you to have um, uh, more in-depth discussions about it and also just it makes watching stuff more fun it definitely makes watching things more interesting yeah and I think you kind of like hinted at a way that I was taught to 
I guess, learn about media literacy in the first place was during school, we would either read or watch or listen to things repeatedly and kind of go from, as you say, the, the kind of top level and start discussing that. But then on rewatch upon rewatch, you start looking through the layers of those things. And even in high school, when we were younger, um, we essentially did that with an episode of The Simpsons and watched it yeah. like a dozen times and slowly broke it down further and further. You mentioned this, yeah, and it's uh, the uh, for some people asking like, how do you improve your media literacy? It's just consume more media. And say for example, if you have a favorite film, watch it with the director's commentary track on. See what the director's mm-hmm. thought. Like, and you get some really interesting stuff. Like when they're building a scene, what thought went into building that scene? You might, and you might notice them talking about stuff you probably didn't think about, and that'll mm-hmm. help you. And then. Uh, for example, I'll use Robocop again. Uh, the design of Ed 209. Something I learned about the design of Ed 209 is it has a grill on the front. And that grill is there to be reminiscent of old SUVs in the 1980s that had grills on the front that were purely aesthetic. And uh, they served no functional purpose on the car. They were there to make the car appear to be more powerful. It was a trick manufacturers used to make cheap cars look more expensive. Okay. And that was referenced in Ed 209's design of being a cheap, shitty robot. They dress up to look better than it is. Mm. And that's something I learned watching the director's commentary where they talk about the special effects. And that's, that's another way to improve music. Just keep watching media and then like find and seek out uh, preferably your favorite pieces of media because they're the things you won't mind watching over and over again or learning about. Like yeah, director's and I think... commentaries um, and stuff like that. Yeah, and watching interviews with um like directors and writers and stuff will probably help if you you know trying to to focus on a certain thing but yeah i think that's how generally i i guess i improved my media literacy is like i studied english literature and theater studies and that was a constant part of those courses is like <clears throat> just studying one piece of work over and over again and reading a play over and over again or going through a poem and trying to define the deeper themes. And I feel that's something that's um, it's difficult uh, because it's boring to a lot of people. Yes, but it's important. Yeah. And like uh, it's a sentiment uh, a lot of people have uh, probably heard. Joe, when you, have you ever seen that breakdown of like, um, what the author wrote? The curtains were blue. What the English teacher says, the blue represents the depression that the character feels in this one scene. What the author actually meant, the curtains were blue. And it's yeah. like this flippant way of disregarding scene dressing. It's like, that is um, emblematic of what I mean, of like only reading media in the most superficial way. Mm-hmm. Because not only is that probably inaccurate, because there's, I, there are very few creatives out there I'm aware of who create things that are entirely superficial and have no deeper meaning behind them. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that just sounds like an awful shitty piece of media that people probably shouldn't consume regardless. Um, it's also just completely shut, it also completely shuts down any potential discussion about it because when you can't discuss the potential implications of what these details and stuff mean beyond what's um, uh, gotten across to you in the text, that's bo- it's like if we, me and you talked about movies we'd seen on this podcast like, and just recounted scenes that we'd seen mm-hmm. with no... Um, uh, like additional commentary on them whatsoever. Just like, oh, did you like that scene in Spider-Man where this happened? You're like, yeah, but I also like the scene where this happened. Yeah, and you can obviously have that conversation, but it's definitely not as... I personally would think it's not as interesting as trying to dive a bit deeper and go into the themes or mm-hmm. the meaning behind those things. 
And even if it's like you don't think things have themes, or because I think everything does have themes. Yeah. They're not necessarily important, but everything has a theme or a reason for existing. There is a message in every piece of media. Mm-hmm. And that's something it's, I think, once you've learned that and um, you just go watch or consume a piece of media that you really like and you learn some of the tricks and lessons, you can start to apply that to more pieces of media that you consume. And um, as well, talking about going back to your, your example of like, oh, the curtains were just blue. Mm-hmm. Like, just think for a second that a written piece of work that is published has gone through multiple drafts and is, you know, been poured over and spell checked and thought about. And if they didn't have a reason to say the curtains were blue, it wouldn't be in there in the first place. Yeah, even if it's something as superficial as the character's favourite colour is blue. Mm-hmm. Like there is like such a thing as colour theory in media and that has existed for literally as long as we have had media in any form in which it is able to travel such as like plays and things like that even the oldest fucking forms of entertainment like plays in ancient Greece had fucking scene directions and stuff for how people should dress mm-hmm. yeah. to get across stuff like that so it's not only something that's incredibly flippant, it is like ignorant of the entire history of entertainment as a whole. It's also interesting as well to try and look at media from uh, different parts of the world because, say for example, colour theming. I, I believe that in some parts of the world, like those colours, they still have colour theming, but the themes are different depending on how the cultures perceive those colours. Yeah, um, that exists even within... Um, uh individual cultures just over time things change it's like mm-hmm. um, uh, I mentioned it yesterday on the podcast not the podcast the stream that we did yeah. where uh, me and my girlfriend are watching True Lies and there's a throwaway comment by a character who's an arsehole which is she had an ass like a 10 year old boy mm-hmm. and that's supposed to be like him being attracted to her because she has a very flat ass and that single line is so interesting to break down because one it's something that the character's a piece of shit because he's objectifying a woman he's objectifying her in a way that um, compares her to being underage which again you know, has many implications mm-hmm. um, but then also just as a time capsule of the era of like what did men find attractive and not what did men find what did men find stereotypically attractive very flat women and you compare today where more curvaceous women are what's um, uh, generally seems attractive and of that one line you could write an entire thesis on that mm. if you really wanted to breaking down what it means culturally historically what it represents, like um, what it means for the film, like why it exists. Or you could be like a dickhead of what is just a throwaway line in a film. And that's yeah. a third, that's a 30 second discussion <laughs> that ends with you going, okay. Oh yeah. That guy's an asshole. That's a weird line. Mm-hmm. But like, the amount, and that's the thing I find that fun. Some people don't. I'd hope that people listening to this find that fun because obviously they listen to our conversations where I do exactly that. Well, and I, I would guess if we've got quite a few people asking about mm-hmm. media literacy, it's something that clearly some people care about and want to improve and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's just uh, a skill. Like any skill, it can develop over time through concerted effort. Yeah, and in terms of like being in charge of a school curriculum and stuff, like I, I don't know. I feel as though the things that I learned and cared about within school i got taught about media literacy as i say from a relatively young age i don't think at least over in the uk and the things that i then focused on being like um a bit more literature based i would (laughs) say that it hasn't been completely ignored it's not like i wasn't taught it at all yeah that's the thing it is taught in schools it's just people don't listen 
Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure almost everyone listening to this did an English class where you're asked to read a book and talk about it and write a report on it. That is basically you've been taught media literacy. And if you didn't pay attention during those lessons, I hardly think that's the fault of the school. Or maybe it wasn't taught in the most engaging way, but an effort was made to teach you it. Mm-hmm. Because it is an important life skill. Like, there is a reason that you get taught about English language and literature is like, it tries to be encompassing more than just English as a straight-up language. Yeah, like, um, it's all about how English can be used and how it can be interpreted and how you can use it to craft stories, entertainment, and um, uh, things And again, obviously, this is coming from a UK perspective, like, take it all with a grain of salt. Not all curriculums are the same and stuff, but yeah. But reminds me of that, uh, again, a popular, um, uh, what's the word now, sentiment you'll see online is, oh man, school shouldn't teach us how to do algebra and long division. They should teach us how to um, do our taxes and stuff like that. And it's just the breakdown of it is, if if school's taught you that, you wouldn't listen anyway. Mm -hmm. Because you didn't listen to algebra and taxes and how to apply for a job is equally as boring. However, I think things like cooking should be definitely... Again, um, introduced into schools more just basically how to survive mm-hmm. as an adult kind of things like taxes you can ignore like it's a lot harder to ignore like his actual like you know food technology classes is that's the thing is like how many of the same people claiming that um, they should teach that in school to have ignored it themselves if they were at school yeah so you can like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, as the old mm-hmm. saying goes. But yeah, hopefully that's helpful. But the one piece of advice I give people is just find a piece of media you like, see what you can learn about it. Just watch like just watch films with directors' commentary on. The easiest way to do it, because that way it's a very passive way to do it. You know, it doesn't involve like reading a book or anything. You mm-hmm. can just watch your favorite movie and hopefully learn something new about it. And those new things that you learn will give you more tools to be able to analyze media as a whole. Hopefully, if you've got a good director's commentary. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Unless you're watching the Terminator 3-1 where it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger on it and he's just like, I love this scene when it's where the Terminator's tits get massive and he's like, it's fucking great, this one. It's like, go on, Arnold. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> we have one from Marcus here. So hello, hello Carl and Lucas. Uh, they have a question for each of us. So Okay. Uh, Carl, have you yes. tried learning a language recently? If so, what, which one and why? Mm-hmm. And then uh, for I'm, me, uh, oh. I'll just say mine and then we can we can get it all away, I guess. But uh, then for me, it was just one something new that you tried out this year, I guess last year now. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, when did you try it? But yeah, go ahead, Carl. Uh, I do not have an affinity for language at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I just some, uh, there are just some things that I I'm just like fundamentally unable to do and I just do not like learning a language is one of those things where like I can't wrap my head around it yeah. every time I try like when I'm in a foreign country and stuff like that like um, even stuff as simple as a thank you in other languages I have to be told like 20, 30 times and I'll get it wrong every time fair yeah I, I just don't think it's something that like my brain is wired to do and that's like a, a cop out it's useful it's like every time I've tried to learn even just the basics of a language um, I'm completely at a loss mm-hmm and I struggle to do even like the most basic things and um, it is something I'm like you know ashamed of to a degree because uh, my girlfriend's um, bilingual but, yeah. and speaks two languages fluently and it's um, uh, it is embarrassing but it's just it's something I, I can't do it my mind is not wired to um, use language in that way that's fair like I know what you mean it's like I never say it in that way specifically but 
I I do struggle with languages as well, and it's just one of those things of some things come easier to people than others. Like mm-hmm. math always came easy to me, but languages didn't. Yeah, it's and just, it's um, just one of those. So people have strengths and weaknesses, and, yeah. and that's one of mine. Uh, how about yourself? Then it's weird how they asked you like not. Like, those questions could apply to both of us, but I guess. Well, Carl, this is I, they know of I course I know every language in the world anyway. Like, That's we all know this. So, um, anything new you've learned this year, Lucas, or in 2021? Um, yeah, in 2021, because we're recording this at the start of 2022, so I'd only have, like, a few days to go off. But um, I can't think of anything specifically new. However, I will say that in 2021 i made a great effort to like broaden my horizons in terms of cooking mm-hmm. and i've always been like fine at cooking but um just trying to push myself and learn a lot of different stuff like for example i made my first curry last year like i'd never i'd made plenty of different types of dishes but i'd never gone out and made a curry from scratch yeah i know so, like, when you were visiting you were coming out with like um uh, pre-cooked meals that you'd made at home and stuff mm-hmm. like that yeah, so, so it's like, I noticed. Um, not something necessarily brand new that I tried, but just trying to push myself and push my horizons of like what I would eat as well, which is yeah. always good. The improvement of a skill you like already had, which well, in that, of itself is stands out to me. Yeah. yeah, that's learning a new thing, isn't it? So it's like you know improving something you already knew. Yeah, because I think for a lot of people uh, that were in my position, where it's like you know good ish at cooking, but would stick to the same staples that you already know yeah like so i had like a, a set kind of menu in my head where they were my go-to meals that i would never really deviate from mm-hmm. so yeah that's, i tried to broaden my horizons yeah that's something i'm trying to do this year i very much um, enjoyed doing it both in the cooking and in the eating so yeah it's been good there we go um thanks so what's the next one what do we have uh Next one is from Anonymous. Uh, Hi, Carl and Lucas. I'm currently in the process of applying to uni, and as former students, I was wondering if you have any advice about student life, getting out there and meeting people. As being a somewhat anxious person, this has me slightly worried. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work of informing dickheads that trans rights matter. Um, Very simply, just every university that I'm aware of has societies for near enough every conceivable interest, whether it is you want to play football or like a sport like that, or you just want to watch movies that I think our university has like some like a tea drinking society and stuff like that. Hundreds of societies back in Holland, yeah. The most niche interest you can imagine. So just find those, find the ones that um, seem like something you'd like and you will at the very least find people there who are like-minded in some way and then you've got that common ground of being new, being nervous and having a shared interest which can be used as a very easy and go-to icebreaker. 100%. And um, Carl, how did we meet? Video Game Society. There we go. Video Games. Mario Kart Gaming Society. We're still friends um, a decade later. So it does Um, work. Yeah, it certainly does. And I moved to Sheffield kind of on a whim. Uh, I didn't really research the city itself or know whether I had friends going there or not. And when I moved there, I kind of had like, I think there was like two, three people I knew from back home that had moved over like similar times. Um, Mm -hmm. But other than that, I pretty much didn't know anyone and didn't get on with many of my uh, similarly aged 
um, course friends or colleagues, course colleagues, I guess. But yeah, I found just joined a bunch of societies, met a bunch of people that had similar um, interests and likes that I did and hobbies that I did and met a lot of friends that I still talk to now. Yeah, it's, it's that simple. Like, it really is easy. It's like just put yourself out there and university makes it so easy because there are like countless like um, meet and greet society meetups um, activities um, like freshers events freshers events is also a really good way to just try and get out there Um, there's a lot of ones that are there that aren't with the intention of going out and getting pissed a lot of them are going there to meet people have icebreaker kind of situations and stuff and that can be awkward but a lot of people are going there because they also feel anxious and awkward and want to meet people. And there's usually led by someone who did it um, in like at least a second or a third year. So mm-hmm. they know the exact situation you're in and they obviously they want you to be part of their society. Yeah. So that's best advice. And just, yeah, and just if there's something that you don't, you, you're curious about, university is the best time for it. Like if yeah. you want to try to pick up a new sport and it's like, we've always found it interesting. Like university makes it so easy because like you generally pay like a couple of quid, if not zero pounds. And they have like, try, um, give it a go days where it's like, just turn up and play. If you like it, then you can talk about signing up. If you don't, whatever. Yeah. And a lot of, um, obviously universities will have sports teams and stuff, but there's a lot of casual, like, you know, join ups and, um sessions and stuff or societies where it's just yeah come and play a sport or play an activity with people that want to also just play it casually and aren't competitive necessarily yeah just for an hour a week and then we'll go out for a drink afterwards i'll have you well so it's 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 weird to be asked that because i thought that was pretty self-explanatory because universities um, in my experience, going to one, like, they try so hard when you sign up, like, here's everything you can do. Like, go, here's an open day where we just, like, bombard you with information about what you're able to do. I mean, if you look for that stuff, yes, but, like, at the same time, I was the only person out of my first group of flatmates, there were six of us, and I was the only one that even looked at joining a society. The rest of them all just made friends with the people they were on a course with and kind of dealt with it. Yeah, I did both, so I was lucky in that regard. Because I think um, the very first day I turned up to my accommodation, um, I was literally walking up to get the flat to my bedroom, and the flat and the lift opened, and a guy that I met at a party a couple months earlier was just in the elevator, um, pissed as a fart inside of a shopping trolley, going, Way! And just went, Carl? I was like, Adam? <laughs> went, I didn't know you were coming here, went, neither you. It was like, where do you live? He went, oh, here. This is my floor. What course do you do? I went, oh, I'm doing media. He went, so am I. When do you go in? I went, tomorrow. I went, oh, <laughs> so do I. And we ended up being on the same course. I like, what are you doing tonight? I went, nothing. I went, come on, we're in a party. Done. I've been fair. best mates with him for, again, 10 years. So just treat university as the thing it's supposed to, which is an experience and a chance to just try new things. And so broaden your horizons. Um, on, on a similar note of just when i first moved over and i had like i'd say a couple of people that i knew had also moved to sheffield at the same time Mm. and one of them was like oh yeah come around to to my um halls and we'll just hang out for a bit and as we pressed the elevator 
like the lift opens and there was just a drunk naked girl in a shopping trolley like <laughs> yeah and just I was like alright and then it was more awkward because like a month or so later we met each other at a house party or a flat party or whatever and I was like I recognise you and then it like twigged in my head and I was like oh there okay. it is yeah it's like this isn't awkward <laughs> so one tip is don't get naked and drunk in a shopping trolley but it will make you meet people yeah it's always a good icebreaker like, you've already seen my asshole how much more awkward could it be anyway moving on again. moving swiftly on away from that um, so the next one says hi I hope you guys are doing well and are keeping healthy and safe here's my question mm-hmm. uh, is there a separation between artist and their art or a creator and their content uh, they say, for example, H.P. Lovecraft was a horrible racist, but his writing is popular and inspired a lot of other writers. Mm-hmm. Should his writing be separated from his views? And how does this apply to modern creators and artists? Uh, I hope this question piques your interest, and I hope you have the day you deserve. Kind regards, Alexander. Ah, it's, it's very simple. It's um, how much... There's, there's two things that impact this. It's like, how much do those views leak into their content? Because with H.P. Lovecraft, um, it's quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And the second one is, does the person directly profit um, uh, from the consumption of their work? And with H.P. Lovecraft's um, case, he's dead. Fuck him. Mm-hmm. He's dead and his shit's pretty much like, I think it's in the public domain now, or if it's not, you can like adapt it loosely without right, um, yeah. compensating yeah. anyway. So in that case, even if he was a horrible racist, fuck him. It's ours now. It belongs to culture now, not him. Mm-hmm. And in the specific case of H.P. Lovecraft, if uh, and I was wondering like, it's still one of those things that people get surprised about, like because they know of the name and how influential he is. But like, it's like, was it was he really that bad? And it's like he was so racist that his wife divorced him because he would not stop being racist. Oh my god! And she like directly cited the fact that she, I believe, she was Jewish, and it's like he married her and would not stop talking about how bad Jewish people were. And she's like, I'm Jewish. She's like, yeah, but you're fine. It's all the rest of them. It's like, please oh, shut no. up. Fuck off. And the name of his cat as well was the N word because his cat was black. Wow. And he found it, and he was one of those people who liked saying it, seeing people's horrified reaction, and then smugly smiling about it. Oh, well, I'm not saying it as a slur, that's just the name of my cat. Yeah, like, do you know those people who, like, say offensive things? Like, Schrodinger's asshole, and they look around to see if people are offended or not. Mm-hmm. Looking to pick a fight, he was one of those assholes. God. Um, yeah. And I will Please. say as well, like, we also got an email from uh, Blake, who had a similar kind of vibe to the question of just like, you know, how how involved does someone has to be before you um like can separate that person from the art and you know, they say like oh, for example, if a drummer in a band is a piece of shit but had nothing to do with the rest of it, like do you find it easy to take them out of it? Or for they also said the example of like Kevin Spacey being in films like Baby Driver, that's a bit yeah. more involved, a bit more front-facing. It's, it's difficult, and it um, it's, goes back to the, the famous quote about pornography. Uh, mm-hmm. I know it when I see it. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's, like it's, only, it's a decision that only you can make. There's no like, hard definition of like how involved someone has to be. It's a, it's a gut feeling informed by your own morality. It definitely is, and as you say, you can't really draw a line because it's so nebulous especially mm. when it comes to art of how much creative control did one person have how much do they as you say profit off it now like how how deep-seated is that person with that brand and i think 
one big example right now that you could use is J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter. Yeah. And it's uh, one of the things that's come out over her being, again, people don't know, she's just been ousted as a horrible, horrible transphobe. And it's mm-hmm. um, with that knowledge that she is just like a basically psychotic mess over this. Like she is like so horribly, just like insidiously, virulently transphobic. Um, and she we- is constantly just doubling down over and over again rather than yeah. trying to you know see the error of her ways or apologize or anything it's no fuck you all i'm right to the point where like it has affected the ability to enjoy her work not just because you know it's purchasing it and supporting it directly monetarily supporting a horrible villain transphobe it's also that things in her work that could be perceived as problematic or not with a charitable reading you don't get to have that charitable reading anymore like a good example is like the description of rita skeeter have you ever like gone back and read how she's described no i've not uh, rita skeeter is described as having very mannish hands and looking like a man oh in every scene that um uh, she's in because you know that jk rowling thing because she's a terrible writer just like two pages of description for every character when they're introduced mm-hmm. yep. it constantly refers to rita skeeter being looking like a man Oh. And that's and that makes her ugly and like lesser. And then there's also like the thing of like her sneaking into bathrooms and pretending to be someone she's not oh, to get right, stuck. Okay. And it's that thing of like, okay, that goes back to like the media literacy thing. Maybe reading too much into that, but knowing what we now know about J.K. Rowling, it's hard Where to be charitable. She has literally chimed in on trans people going into bathrooms recently. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's not really much, as you say like charitable reading going on there anymore it's just yeah. no we, we know that she's trying to veil her beliefs within that because what i actually saw earlier was um uh, like and i was like one of the places i go to get those hot takes i was going to talk about on next week's podcast but it comes up now is uh, someone was breaking down like man it, it's really hard oh it's it hits so hard when you rewatch harry potter and realize like how horribly racist the goblins are Right, yeah. And you just see, like, oh, yeah, these are... And people, again, if perhaps they don't know, like, the goblins are such an awful... Um, uh, like, playing on this awful stereotype about Jewish people controlling all the banks because the goblins in Harry Potter are portrayed as uh, hook-nosed, um, horrible, magical creatures that control all of the wealth and are, not tr- and are so untrustworthy, wizards don't even let them have um, wands. Mm-hmm. And and then if you go back and watch as well, like the scene in Gringotts, there's literally a star of David on the floor oh. when they introduce all of the goblin bankers. And I saw someone going, oh, to be fair, I, I think a lot of these readings, like they're not, uh, they're, they're a bit of a stretch. And someone just posted a screenshot of one of the goblins next to like um, literal Nazi propaganda about Jewish people. And it's like one to one. Oh God. And it's just like, really? Really, dude? Yeah. And that's the thing as a kid... When it is just, oh, look, there's goblins that have a bank. It's yeah. like, right, cool. Yeah, flies I'm a kid, it's a magical world. Goblins look after money, right? It's only when you go back with A, an adult's viewpoint, and B, knowing what kind of person J.K. Rowling is, mm-hmm. that it starts, uh, I mean, I should say it's sometimes so on the nose as well, but you just didn't realize it because we were yeah. too young to. You're too young to, or um, you you lack the critical ability to break it down and see why mm. it's bad. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, an important skill to have. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's antithetical to the idea of art to have a definition of when you should 
stop supporting a piece of work. This art is so nebulous in the way it's supposed to be interpreted. Like art no longer belongs to the creator by definition the moment they release it. Mm-hmm. And it's in it's really funny in J.K. Rowling's case because she keeps trying to claim ownership over the Harry Potter universe. Yeah. And um, one of the things I find so just deliciously hilarious and ironic about the universe she's created is that it's her current crusade against trans people is completely against the universe she created because the Harry Potter universe with certain readings can be understood to be so accepting of trans people. And there's so many things in that universe that would allow trans people to live and be accepted, um, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, more readily into society. Like you have characters like Tonks, who is a woman, but um, goes by masculine pronouns or like a masculine sounding name and is able to change their appearance as and when they feel like it. They have like the mirror of error said, which shows what people feel deepest inside. And there's all that mm-hmm. great fan art of like um, uh, people stood in front of it and it shows them as a boy or a girl. Uh, uh, okay. People done really great fan art of that. There's also the idea of like um, uh, being sorted into houses. We have like Harry Potter, the main character, should have been sorted into Slytherin based on superficial readings of his, like you know, uh, and superficial readings of um, like his story and who they think of him as a person. But because he feels inside that he should be a Gryffindor, they allow him to be a Gryffindor. Yeah, because doesn't the the sorting hat say that? Oh, I can tell that you want to be a Gryffindor, so I'll allow it. Yeah, even though I think you should be sorted in this way. I think you should fall into this category because you feel like you should fall into this one. I'm going to respect that. And that can be very easily read as like an allegory for um, being trans. And J.K. Rowling is so fucking stupid, she doesn't even realize it. And it's so funny, which is why I feel like it's the more people try and take that universe away from her and be like, no, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Same that people do with like um, uh, uh, Lovecraft. Like, I think we should adapt all of Lovecraft stuff and cast black people in it. Because you know he'd hate it. <laughs> Same thing with J.K. Rowling. And it's weird as well. I saw something recently where it's like, I can't quite remember, but it's just, oh, J.K. Rowling can't deal with trans people, but at the same time writes a book where people can like actively live lives as animals instead of humans. Yeah. That's it. It's all stuff like that. Of um, She continually like rails against the idea of trans people. And then like one of the biggest characters in her book, Snape, and his Patronus, which is described in Harry Potter law as an immutable concept that is core to a person's identity, that mm-hmm. Snape is able to change because he feels different inside. And again, you could read that as a really great metaphor for being trans. Of like, even though this is supposedly an immutable concept that can't be changed, you feel so differently inside that it can change. And it mm-hmm. can change with concerted effort if people accept you for who you are. Yeah. And, and she's too stupid to realize it. I do I do really like the fact that there has kind of been that pushback and just, as you say, people taking ownership of that world mm-hmm. because it means so much to so many people and it is tough to completely remove your love for something like that. You know, mm-hmm. we've, we've grown up with it and just hearing how much of a horrible person the creator is, it's still hard to immediately just you know, remove yourself from that world and from the nostalgia and the love you have for it. Yeah, and it also as well, um, I, again, it falls down to your own sense of personal morality. And me personally, I will never give the Harry Potter series any money willingly ever again. Mm-hmm. But I'll continue to enjoy it and talk about it. And um, you know, especially when it comes to stuff like we just mentioned there, 
um, how many like allegories you can um, read in the text for being trans because I know that would annoy JK Rowling and she would disagree with my interpretation of her work <laughs> but she can't do anything about it because that's how art functions yeah that's your interpretation of it and, and she, she can't and take she, that away from you no she can't and as you much know as she she'll fucking try because uh, people don't know JK Rowling has actively gone out of her way to um, either sue people or threaten them with suing um, for saying stuff about Harry Potter she doesn't like Mm-hmm. Do I ex- do I like extended universe fight head cannon and stuff that people have? Yeah, she'll send people cease and desist for talking about that. Say that's not true. Mm-hmm. It's my universe. So the more people do stuff like that, the more you know it annoys her. Oh yeah, and it's just always. I don't know what the word is to use because I was going to say amazing, but it's not amazing in any say for the, the word. But it's very interesting to me that this woman probably has enough money to disappear off the face of the earth forever, and yet she won't stop going on Twitter and causing fucking problems about trans people. It's like, just fuck off and leave us alone. We had a minor example of that with Graham Linehan. Mm-hmm. Well, he has literally ruined his life. So Graham Linehan is the creator of Father Ted, Black Books, and the IT Crowd. And he there's an episode of the IT Crowd which is horribly transphobic. Um, he was yep. asked about it quite innocently in an interview. Because um, at the time he made the show, um, trans rights were not really on the radar um, uh, for Britain just yet. Um, Definitely not as, as much as they are now, yeah. Yeah, it's a sad thing to say, but you know, that was the state of culture at the time. And he was mm-hmm. innocently asked, like, so would you change anything about that episode now, um, uh, given how trans people have said how like, you know, offensive it is? And he's like, why? And that was all it took. It took one person asking him if he would have any sort of introspection on his work. And he has not only like basically lost all creative, um, uh, uh, what's the word now? Not responsibility, not culpability. Um, like, essentially, he's been blackballed from the industry. He doesn't get right, interviewed. Yeah. He doesn't, no one talks to him anymore. Like all of his friends in the industry no longer speak to him or want to associate with him. Um, his Twitter account got um, uh, taken down, which you know he's mad about. Because he apparently, in his divorce. From his wife, his wife also divorced him, citing the fact that he would not shut the fuck up about trans people. She also cited the fact he would not shut up about his Twitter account being banned. Ah, okay. So he complained about that so much his wife divorced him. (laughs) And it's, to me, it's cathartic to see how much he's angry. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with J.K. Rowling. Like, she's so rich, she has all this money, and she's still mad. Yeah. And And it's it's just... You could just not worry about anything else. You could take your subsidiaries and your royalties and what have you for the rest of your life and just go and be happy on your own and not have to be angry about this stuff mm-hmm. but you are actively choosing to be constantly it's like um, in one of us like you know in better stories like so she's not right it's like you know, a, a figure let's like, so use like, a figure like Voldemort mm-hmm. someone who's like seemingly so all powerful can be hurt by something the idea that someone so powerful and who has so much influence, so much just control, is still able to be hurt. Yeah. And hurt by something so simple, just other people's existence. Just that's other the thing, like wanting to, to live the life how they want to. Yeah, because yeah. if you wanted to make a really bad Harry Potter metaphor, which, you know, is basically all she's ever done, um, <laughs> she is Voldemort. She is like the villain. Like, she. It, she is on par with the creation, like the villain of her own story, where she is this weird purist who doesn't 
who wants to exclude people from the universe she made mm-hmm. and feels entitled to have complete control over because of her status. And she's again, she's too stupid to realize it. Yeah. Like, even when you've got like, I think it was like da- um, after she made one statement, it was Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint and Emma Watson all simultaneously made statements um, disavowing her and um, uh, talking about how um, uh, they support trans rights and they don't agree with her. Yeah. And the only person, like, and I think the same with a lot of other people on in connection with the films also said the same thing, with the exception of Ralph Fiennes, who said, well, well, while I disagree with her, I think the criticism is a bit much. So like, the most she got was a the mildest of defences from Lord Voldemort. <laughs> the only... <laughs> I don't agree with her, but maybe leave her alone was yeah. the best defense that she got. And that's the thing, when all, all three main characters of the universe she created, like the people who will forever be associated with that universe, all disagree with her. Mm-hmm. The instant she made a statement, and the oh, the closest she can get is Voldemort himself being like, she, oh, just leave her alone. Yeah. <laughs> that's, no, that's not the... even agreeing with her, just... just that, that's, all. that's the level of effort someone can muster in her defense of just like... Yeah, I don't agree with her, but I, I just wish people would start asking me about it in interviews. You know what, that's all. I would leave her alone if she would leave it alone. Yeah, that's the thing. All she needs to do is shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, do you know that, that meme of the cat putting its hand on someone like, stop posting? <laughs> that's all she needs. Mm-hmm. That she's doing it to herself. And it's ironic because, as you said, the thing she's annoyed about is like, one of the things she's, this boogeyman she's invented is like, uh, men running into bathrooms pretending mm. to be women and getting away with it even though that's not a thing that has ever happened anywhere in the world uh, <laughs> like she keeps inserting herself into a conversation she's not welcoming yeah. and then refusing to leave and again she's too stupid to realise the irony mm-hmm. well yeah very good question yeah I think um as we kind of like summed up is just earlier just it's very hard to distinguish when you should and shouldn't separate someone from their art and i think as you say it's a good way to look at it just it's basically on how far you want to you want to take it and it's it's up to your moral compass to decide whether that's that's a, a thing you want to associate with or not just uh, trust and use your own judgment so we can if say you it. feel wrong in like still wanting to you know consume that piece of art if you feel wrong about it then that's probably a sign that you should not anymore yeah, the, fact, the fact that if you ask it the fact you're asking this question means you feel uncomfortable on some level and if that's the case either go out of your way to try and consume it in a way where she doesn't directly profit or the creator doesn't directly profit or try and outweigh that by putting some good out into the world like making a donation to a, um, a charity what have you yeah, that's that's definitely a good way to think about it. If you're in a position to do so, of course, and do it in um, their name, <laughs> and then tweet about it. Yeah, I think that's one one thing is that I've talked about this on streams and stuff a lot. Is I do not at this moment in time till they sort the shit out. Want to be purchasing like Ubisoft games, or Activision Blizzard games, um, and there's other, obviously there's a big problem within the, the video game industry and a lot of industries in general uh, but those two companies have not only been atrocious they've also refused to acknowledge anything and or back down mm-hmm. and make changes uh, so yeah I've said I'm not going to buy those games or consume those games in any way that will cause them to 
gain money, but I might walk into a shop and buy it pre-owned one day. Mm-hmm. Because and that's like you know, they're not directly made. benefiting from that anymore. And there are some people who think that's not far enough. There are some people who think that's too far. But at the end of the day, it's, it's your choice to make. Yeah, definitely. And I'm not going to begrudge anyone for still enjoying Harry Potter or going and buying an Activision game or what have you. But yeah, it's all up to personal choice, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest gift uh, we've all been given. Yeah, I just figured we've got one more just to end a bit more quickly and a bit more lighthearted on the podcast. Okay. I feel that's quite lighthearted, though. It's like, just do stuff to annoy transphobes and racists. That, that's true. You should definitely what better way to live your life? <laughs> uh, last one is, hi guys, like the channel a lot. Uh, my question is, do you prefer shows with clear story arcs like series of unfortunate events or villain of the week style shows like Bones in brackets, I think, or Psych? Uh, if so, why? Thanks, Charles. Uh, it depends. That's the thing. Like, on sometimes, like we were talking about Daredevil earlier, I just wanted Daredevil to just be not Monster of the Week, but Matt Murdock solving a different crime each week using his superpowers. Because I have a thirst or a hunger for that kind of show because we haven't gotten it yet. Mm. Because every single Marvel show as if for some reason stuck with the idea it has to be giant and world changing and interconnect with everything else mm-hmm. so I have a hunger for a, like you know a monster of the week style show where it's just self-contained stories featuring these characters and Marvel seemingly does not want to make that show Same, likewise Disney refused to make that show with like the Mandalorian and the Boba Fett show they refuse to make a show that is just self-contained stories that you can drop in and drop out of. They want it to be an entire mythology that you're going to follow for years. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I kind of am in the middle where I I always like there to be some kind of overarching plot, even mm-hmm. in the, you know, villain of the week kind of shows. Um, oh, yeah. I was, I was going to say, I was going to let you come in. I didn't want to, like, talk too much, but at the same time, yeah. sometimes I want to see, like, you know, an overarching story, as long as that the show can deliver on that. And a problem with a lot of modern shows like Summer Daredevil is I never felt like they were ever going to be able to deliver on it because the way Marvel goes is to continually get higher and higher stakes. That's the issue I have with a lot of uh, overarching plots is that they go way too big and can't pay it off. But the, mm-hmm. I- the idea of watching a show where week to week there is zero consequence doesn't really grab me at all. No, but sometimes you want to watch stuff like The Simpsons. Like The Simpsons has no overarching plot, but it still can be very entertaining because it's done well. Mm, yeah, true, but I, I think I still prefer like sitcoms with you know continuity to them mm-hmm. That's and the character thing. development and stuff. Uh, for personally, it's just it depends what mood I'm in. If like when I'm like writing, for example, or just like got something in the background, I'm gonna put on an episode of Bones or something like that because I don't mm. need to pay attention, but. When it's like me and my girlfriend binging a show, like we want something with a payoff, or at least a payoff is presumed to happen Yeah, yeah. when we start a new show. And it's just very few shows, modern shows, stick that landing because the landscape of media now is to continually get people hooked in for years. That's fair. And maybe where I kind of differ is that I would not go to a... a you know, plotted TV show necessarily, like a scripted thing where, you know, it's a show like Bones for that kind of fix, I would put something on like a baking competition show. 
reality TV sort of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. Of like, there's a lot of ones that I watch on Netflix and stuff like that, and it's just oh well, I want to kind of put something on in the background that has no consequence. I'll put something on like yeah, I'll say like a you know. I don't know, like sugar rush or something, where it's just they're going to make cakes, and I can look up and see that they're making cakes. Even then, they have a loose narrative, though, in the sense that there is a story. So a lot of reality shows, like the reason they're so popular, is because there is a story. They force us; it's a forced one, admittedly, but they have like characters, and they'll have like rivalries, and there's an ending where there's a winner, and there's like losers, and there's upsets and surprises. So even in those sense, like the most disposable form of media to exist. Uh, on television there's still stakes and a narrative as loose as it might be yeah that's true that's true so that's it's uh, just what mood I'm in so I don't like questions where they ask what do you prefer one or the other when my answer is well depends like saying, what you're oh, in the mood for <laughs> yeah it's like, would you rather have a really nice home cooked meal or do you rather have a McDonald's it's like well some days I really want a home cooked meal but other days I want McDonald's mm. and I don't feel and I feel like my answer to that question would change on any given day so to give a definitive answer as if it, that is the only way I'm ever going to feel. feels very, um, uh, it doesn't feel something I'm comfortable, it's not something I'm comfortable doing. That's fair, yeah. I'm, like, yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? I think we've both had different kind of answers, but come across the same way of just, well, if I'm in the mood to not really pay attention, I'll want something with a bit less consequence. But it's always nice to have something that, that has more of a consequence to the story as well. Yeah, I think this happens in like all aspects of life, and you know, to, to end on because it's a QA episode. Like a, a type of question we get a lot is, "Do you like this thing or do you like that thing?" As if they are the only choice. It's presented in a very binary way. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not the way it's intended, but when it's written down as a question, you have to read it um, as it's written. It comes across as like, "Do you prefer one or the other?" And it leaves no ground or um, room for nuance. Or even like a third option. It's like it just it feels very limiting to think that way. Because um, how often do we get asked on like um, this podcast and streams and things like that? Like, um, do you like blank? Mm, and that's it. Yeah. It's not what do you think of blank? Like what do you think about this? It's like do you like? It's not. There's no real room for discussion. It's just yes, no. Very binary in the way it's presented. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just me being nitpicky because I get asked questions all the time. So I, yeah, that's I should, true. That's true. I should have established that I get asked questions like this like pretty much like ten times a day. I think so, really the answer is for me at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like One Piece. So you're all in for that. So, so you know, One Piece is both. That's the thing is, is like One Piece has its Monster of the Week episodes, but then it has its like overarching story. Uh, I mean, I guess not. Does it not? Does it, it, there's no. Every episode has something to do with the story. Well, uh, it's, you know, each one is an arc within a grander overarching story. Oh, okay. So I was thinking, uh, the comparison I use, like, I like X-Files, which has a lot of Monster of the Week episodes. Very famously, it's one of the shows that helped coin the term. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has an overarching narrative that is either sometimes not alluded to at all in some episodes, which are just purely standalone. But knowing the overarching story does help with your enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And then it'll have episodes where it's like, okay, this is a story episode. This is telling right, you yeah. the narrative. No, I think um, One Piece is a bit more just traditional, you know, Dragon Ball kind of anime where it's just, it's one continuous story, but it's broken down into smaller arcs. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I'm, uh, I think that sums it up. Like, even TV shows, like the TV show that helped coin the term Monster of the Week, 
still has an overarching narrative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In some episodes. So yeah. even like the show that helped define that term does not strictly fall within that definition all the time. Which is a good example of like why it's a, a strange question to have to answer when the answer is, well, both. I like both. I like, I like hamburgers and I like steak. I wouldn't mind One Piece and Scooby-Doo coming together though. Oh man, Scooby-Doo just gets everywhere. Scooby-Doo's so fucking good. There's like an episode <laughs> where like John Cena's in it. Is there? Yeah, they have like like three separate movies with wrestling like uh, that are in tandem with the WWE. And they get all the wrestlers to voice themselves. So I know they obviously had like the Harlem Globetrotters back in the day and they've had mm-hmm. like the DC crossovers and stuff. Yeah. Scooby-Doo's been in bed with a lot of people. Like, Scooby-Doo is so good it's for that one episode where they have a crossover with Johnny Bravo. <laughs> and it's one of the best episodes of either Scooby-Doo or Johnny Bravo because they for the joke where um, Johnny Bravo and Velma bump into each other and both drop their glasses. And Velma's like, my glasses, my glasses, I can't see without my glasses. And Johnny Bravo's like, my glasses, my glasses, I can't be seen without my glasses. That's such a good line. <laughs> I fucking love Johnny Bravo so much. Uh, but yeah, that's all the questions that we have for today. We have, and then as usual, if your question wasn't asked, um, it's either it was a it was probably a question we've been asked before, or we didn't find it interesting. So please don't just send in another email with the same question. Yeah, because if I did intend to use it, it's still in the inbox. If I didn't want to use it, it's been deleted. Yeah. So either way, you don't need to send it again. It, that reminds me of something. That I I don't understand how the person put up with it. But it's probably because like if, if it was me um, in the situation they described, I'd have gone mad. Where they were talking about the show Arcane, uh, which mm-hmm. came out um, a couple months ago now. Yeah. Uh, not anything to say about the show, but um, there's a content creator I follow every now and again. They were talking about they were streaming. And literally every 10 minutes for the duration of their five-hour stream, a guy sent them a direct message asking them, have you seen Arcane? Are you going to talk about Arcane? Have you seen Arcane? You're not talking about Arcane. Would you like to talk about Arcane? Is there a time you're going to talk about Arcane so I can come back and talk about it later? Um, Are you going to talk about Arcane? Is Arcane mentioned on this week's podcast? And I thought, how did the person not get the hint after the first, after the second hour? I mean, to me, that would have been like a three strikes and you're out. That's the one. And fair play to that person for putting up with that. But the way they described it, it's like, how did the person not get the hint? Yeah. And I've heard it before, just similar thing, but just in chat of somebody like every five, ten minutes asking the thing again. It's, I clearly want to ignore this thing. I'm addressing every question in and around yours. Just please stop. That's just a story I heard and I was like, Oh, yeah, that would that. be so infuriating. I, I, I don't know how they put up with it. Like, that's like a God-tier level of patience. That is. And it's a level of patience I do not have, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, but, uh, yeah, again, just send any questions you do have. Uh, mm-hmm. Hopefully the ones that get used, but carlscornerqa.gmail.com. It's in the description and... I guess we'll be back for a regular episode next week. Yeah, we'll be back to um, recording as usual next week, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, I, I assume as much. And we'll figure out what happens around my birthday. Because again, like, my birthday's in a few weeks. And I like to take a week or yeah. so off for my birthday. So and then so- my birthday's in a, um, a few weeks as well. Yeah, it's like, you know, a week or so after my... <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out and we'll let people know if we can. We so follow us on social media to see announcements about that, I suppose. 
Yes, yeah. Cheers, everyone.